millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the new episode of Talking France. After Emmanuel Macron was elected president, he vowed to battle against the ideas of the far right. But after his government's controversial immigration bill passed through parliament this week, Marine Le Pen has been claiming victory. So what's in this final bill that's causing such an uproar? And is it really a big win for Le Pen? We'll explain all shortly. Away from French politics, we'll explore just how Catholic France is, why some groups have even been banned, and why certain Catholics say they are treated as second-class citizens. And for anyone who thinks the French are not funny, we have a list of some must-watch hilarious French films for you. We'll look at the list of French towns where you can travel for free on transport and find out what you have to do to be made a knight in France. I'm Ben McPartland, and joining me this week to help shed light on all these subjects will be the local France's editor, Emma Pearson, journalist Jen Mansfield, and politics expert John Litchfield. Let's crack on, because it's all kicked off in France this week. To be fair, it's been threatening to for a while because of the government's immigration bill, or anti-immigration bill, as some have called it. This bill has finally been passed, and it's fair to say it caused a huge uproar. An open letter from 50 charities, including French human rights groups, say it's the most regressive bill of the past 40 years for the rights and living conditions of foreigners, including those who've been in France a long time. Marine Le Pen says it's an ideological victory for her party. Communist Senator Ian Brossat described it as a National Front pamphlet from the 1980s. French right-wing daily Le Figaro said the bill will leave deep scars. What's going on, Emma? Okay, so we've been playing kind of immigration bill hokey-cokey for months now. We've had the first bill, the revised bill, the amendments, the change bill. And then finally, late on Tuesday night, we got a final version of the bill that was passed in Parliament. And along the way, articles have been added in, taken out, put back in again. And frankly, it's all very confusing. The very short version of this is that the final version of the text of the bill was agreed by a joint committee of senators and MPs. And because the Senate is dominated by the political right, the final text ended up being a lot more right wing than the original bill, which was put forward by Emmanuel Macron's party. The revised form found support both from the right wing Les Républicains party and from the far right Rassemblement National. And that was enough to get it passed by a majority of MPs, even though the left and around a quarter of MPs from Macron's own party voted against it. Now, over the last few months, whenever we've talked about this bill in the office and we've talked about what's in it, we've kind of all kind of shrugged our shoulders and gone, well, not that much really to cause such controversy. But that seems to have changed, hasn't it? Um, Yeah, loads of stuff was randomly added in it at a final stage. Things that hadn't really been even discussed before, like Mm. tighter restrictions for students or migration quotas. These appear to have just kind of dropped from nowhere at the last stage. So what do we know in terms of, you know, what's in this bill? Okay, well, the final bill, it's definitely more right wing than the original. Mm. And most of the tougher anti-immigration measures were added by the Senate at a later stage. I'm not sure you could truly call it a far-right text, especially when you compare it to the bills and the new laws in many of France's European neighbours. But I've picked out a few of the more sort of eye-catching things to talk about, although this is only a selection. There's quite a lot more. But one of the big ones is migration quotas. 
This is a Senate amendment, and the idea is that Parliament would set annual migration quotas. The actual bit of the bill is really quite vague, and a lot of the experts think it'll be struck out by the Constitutional Council anyway at a later stage. But what the bill says is it requires Parliament to have an annual debate on migration with a view to setting quotas. Now, this wouldn't affect asylum seekers or people who are coming on family reunification visas. And the wording of it talks about economic migration. So it kind of seems like it would be targeted at people who are coming to work rather than students or retirees. But there's a lot that needs to be clarified there, I think. Talking students, there was a change for uh, student visas as well. Anyone applying for a student visa will be required to pay a refundable deposit, and the actual amount is not specified, to the state. And visas will also be contingent on what they call serious study. There's not a lot of detail on this yet either, but universities and international business schools are up in arms about it because they say it will damage France's reputation and make it harder to attract those lucrative foreign students. It's also very unpopular with Macron's own party who really want to promote France as a place for skilled people to study and hopefully later invest. Another one that attracted quite a lot of controversy is about benefits. The bill restricts the right of foreigners in France to claim certain types of benefits. Family benefits and housing allowance will only be open to people who've been living in France for five years or for 30 months for people who are working. This doesn't apply to unemployment benefits, so if you lose your job, and students will still be able to claim housing benefits. One of the items in this bill that we talked about at the very beginning was this idea of having language tests for residency permits. Did that survive? Is that still in the bill? It did, yes. Uh, I had to look up the actual text of the bill because this got no attention in the French press, but it will definitely be of interest to foreigners in France, I think. Um, Yes, compulsory language tests in order to get a long-term residency card. So at present, there is no requirement to pass a language test in order to get a residency card, although you can be ordered to attend lessons if your French is very basic indeed. That will change. And in order to get the multi-year card, which is the one that most people get after several years of residency, you will need to pass a French test. The level required will probably be A1, which is the basic level. The bill doesn't actually specify it, but it says that at a minimum, you must understand expressions frequently used in everyday language, communicate during routine tasks, and talk about subjects that correspond to immediate needs. So that kind of sounds like A1 to me. It's quite a basic level. This is a good time to bring in politics expert John Litchfield, who joins us on the line from Normandy. John, is this really a clear victory for Marine Le Pen and the ideas of the far right in France? It's certainly a PR victory, Ben, I would say. You know, you can dispute to what extent the changes in the bill really do go in as far as the Rassemblement National wants to go in immigration. But the, the fact that it sort of includes language, which is the sort of language that's been used by her and her father for many years, is embarrassing to the government. And, and Le Pen showed herself to be a very clever tactician, or at least someone in her party did, by switching her votes to support the bill at the last minute. All along, they said they could not support the bill because it contained things they didn't like, such as uh, helping uh, uh, people, sans papier, people without papers to get jobs if they were well behaved and they were working in in industries um, where labour was short. But she sort of shoved that into the background and, and decided to support the bill, knowing that that would cause even more grief and angst in in Macron's own party. And I suspect her deciding to support the bill certainly contributed to the number of pro-Macron MPs who voted against or abstained last night, something like 59, which is the biggest revolt against Macron within his own alliance since he came to power in 2017. 
So, John, that's my next question. What about the, the, the impact of this bill going through in the manner it has for Macron, for the far right and, and for France as a whole? A lot of the stuff that's out there is political rhetoric, you know, Ben. I mean, the bill is pretty horrible bill as it, as it stands. It's very different from the bill as originally proposed by Macron and Domina, his interior minister. But not much of it is going to survive a combing through by the Constitutional Council, I suspect. So if those things are stripped out of the bill, things that, that reduce the, the right of, of uh, foreign there's children of foreigners born in France to have French citizenship automatically or relatively automatically, or the right to access to basic social welfare payments are stripped out of the bill by the Constitutional Council. It won't be that different from the bill that, uh, that Macron and his government wanted. So, you know, will that then calm the dispute? Not probably not. I think that this is going to leave a lot of business within within the Macron alliance, especially on the left. But where are they going to go? You know, the idea that they're going to be swept back into the into the left when the left has become so radical, and there's no one really on the left capable of, of recreating the kind of uh, reformist centre left that existed under Hollande or Mitterrand. So I suspect that the you know the alliance will, will stagger on. It'll continue to try and do things. And one of the things you could say, you know, one in the sort of opposition to a lot of the uh, criticism that's out there is that after less than two years, Macron has pushed through the two flagship pieces of legislation of his second term, despite only having a minority government in, in National Assembly. On both occasions, in different ways, they've caused enormous pain, fury, anger, for pension reform on the streets, this one within his own coalition. But you know, maybe that is the price of getting anything done with a minority government. He's going to have to tread a bit more carefully in the future, I think, and try and find something which kind of coalesces his alliance, uh, especially the left-wing part of it, behind some other cause for the next three years. The idea he has, I think, of trying to reform labour law may not be that cause. That may annoy the left for other reasons, but it's got three years in which to survive or to do things still. So uh, there's a lot more to come, I think. Thanks, John. And a reminder to listeners, we have loads more on this immigration bill on our website. We've got articles about how it affects students, about how it affects foreigners, those language tests that Emma talked about, and indeed about British second homeowners in France. It's all on the website and we'll be following this bill through to the end and we'll find out what exactly does get made into law. Thanks, uh, Emma, and thanks, John. Now, France is home to around 80,000 knights. In fact, there are around 2,200 people in France made knights each year, as well as 300 foreigners. These knights are, in fact, the Chevalier de la Légion d'Honneur. And you probably won't see them riding around on horseback through the streets of French towns, Emma. Uh, well, some of them might, I suppose. If they have a horse. Um, if they have a horse, yes. Um, but you're right. Uh, chevalier, um, it does mean a knight. That's its literal translation. Or a mounted soldier. And it was also the lowest level of aristocrat under the Ancien Régime. So you'll stumble across people in history who have the title chevalier. But these days, it means people who have been awarded France's highest honour, the Légion d'honneur. And we have a distinctly dishonourable knight in the news this week, uh, Gérard Depardieu, who might join Bashar al-Assad, Lance Armstrong and Philippe Pétain in being stripped of his Légion d'honneur. In Depardieu's case, it's over the growing number of allegations about sexual misconduct and his behaviour around women, which we talked about last week. We did talk about last week. France are still talking heatedly about Gérard Depardieu. You can see why he was given the Légion d'honneur. He's probably France's most successful actor. I think everyone still accepts he is a brilliant actor. But Bashar al-Assad, he's not even French, Emma. Uh, no, you actually don't need to be French uh, to be given the honour. You just need to have shown and I quote, 
outstanding merit in activities in the public interest or to the benefit of France for at least 20 years. And you also need to have a clean criminal record and what they call a bon moralité, which uh-huh. is like a, a good character. That's the standard definition anyway. But actually, there are quite a few group honours. For example, in 2014, then-President François Hollande decided to award the Légion d'honneur to all of the surviving British veterans of the D-Day landings. There are also several towns and military groups that have been given group honours. We talk about Chevalier. Actually, there are five ranks within the Légion d'honneur. There's Chevalier, Officier, Commandeur, Grand Officier and Grand Croix. And they're awarded like depending on your level of service or how outstanding your achievement really was. Chevalier is the lowest rank and it tends to be given to people like actors, artists, foreign politicians, global figures. And in fact, the tradition of giving out Légion d'honneur to candidates who are maybe not particularly deserving is actually very old. Napoleon, who created the Légion d'honneur in 1802, he handed out 15 of what were then the highest ranks of the award, all of which went to either his ministers or members of his own family. Aha. Uh-huh. Now, I thought Napoleon might have had something to do with it. He's kind of involved in everything, isn't he? Napoleon is always there. If you don't know what's going on with French history, just take a guess at yeah. Napoleon is my top tip. Um, but yes, he uh, he created the Légion d'honneur and he also made it open to all ranks and all religions. Um, there were honours that were handed out by royals under the Ancien Régime, but they could only be given to noblemen who were Catholic. Napoleon also made himself the Grand Master, the Grand Maître of the Légion d'honneur, which maybe was a warning sign that he would turn out to be a power crazy despot. Um, But actually since then, the Grand Master rank has always been held by the head of state ever since. So Emmanuel Macron is Grand Maître de l'Ordre de la Légion d'Honneur. And he has the right to wear a special, very cool ceremonial necklace that goes with the rank. Although actually French presidents haven't worn that in public since Valéry Giscard d'Estaing back in 1974. Right. So to get one, essentially no criminal record and 20 years of outstanding service, which means I'm kind of halfway there and on track to get one. What about getting stripped of them? Like what goes on there? How do you get stripped of it? Uh, yeah, you uh, you can be stripped of the honour either if you're convicted of a crime or you've done anything that is what they say contrary to honour or likely to harm the interests of France. Pretty broad. Yeah, it is really. So some of those who were stripped of the honour were the collaborationist wartime leader Philippe Pétain and also Maurice Papon, who was a World War II era police chief and politician who in 1998 was found guilty of crimes against humanity for his role in deporting Jews to Nazi death camps during the war. More recently, Bashar al-Assad, as we talked about, the British fashion designer John Galliano, he was stripped of his after being convicted over anti-Semitic tirades and Lance Armstrong was also stripped because of the whole drug cheat thing. But Vladimir Putin still has his honour. He does indeed. Do we think Depardieu is going to lose it? He's offered to hand it back, hasn't he? What's the latest with him? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it seems this week a lot of people are sort of talking about what will happen to him. So if I was the president of France, which I'm not and unlikely to be, I'd maybe strip Vladimir Putin first. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Yeah. Interesting. Thanks, Emma, for all that info on the Légion d'honneur. Right, moving on. Moving on, indeed, to the southern French city of Montpellier. Anyone been to Montpellier, guys? Uh, yes, beautiful. Yeah, I've been to some rugby matches there. It is indeed beautiful. One of the most, su- one of the sunniest cities in France, apparently. Huge student population. Jen, have you been there? No, I haven't, but maybe I'll visit Definitely now. Definitely worth going. Uh, visiting might actually be cheaper now because Montpellier has made public transport free. Is that right, Jen? Tell us more. 
Well, it's free for residents, so it's not necessarily going to be cheaper for you if you're visiting as a tourist. But this is part of a long and gradual approach that Montpellier has been taking for the last few years. And their goal is to boost up low carbon transportation and to encourage the residents to use their cars less. So in 2020, the city first announced that its bus and tram networks would be free for residents on the weekends. And now it has extended that out to the entire public transport network every day of the week. But like I said, unfortunately, only for the Montpellier residents. So in order to qualify, you have to submit an application for a card and you'd need your ID as well as proof of residency to get one. We actually did an interview uh, with the then vice president for transport in Montpellier back in 2021. And she told the local that the goal was to show that, yes, we do pay taxes, but these taxes go towards financing ambitious public policies. So there are high hopes for the free transport passes for residents, uh, especially considering the fact that the city saw an increase in public transport usage of 7% after introducing the free weekend passes originally. Okay, really interesting scheme. It's not the first one in France, Jen. There are some other French cities who have been experimented with free transport. Is that right? Yeah, so Dunkirk is one of them. Um, It was one of the first urban areas in France to introduce free transport. Everyone in Dunkirk, including non-residents, so tourists, uh, can take the bus for free. They first introduced this scheme in 2018, and a report published in the following year showed that transport use had increased by 88% when comparing 2017, prior to the scheme, with 2019, after it was implemented. In a previous interview with the local, the then VP of Ecological Transition for Dunkirk, Jean-Francois Montagne told us that if you tell your fellow citizens, take the bus, it's good for the planet, it won't work. However, if you say, take the bus, it's free and also good for the planet, it works, which makes sense to me. Uh, There's another city uh, not too far from Dunkirk, Calais, uh, which also started offering free bus travel to everyone, including tourists in January 2020. And then there's also Niort, uh, which is a city in Western France. They introduced free public transport in 2017. In the past six years, their bus ridership has tripled, according to Les Echos. So pretty successful. And then there are a few other cities that have not gone for completely free transport, but rather taking more gradual steps like free trips on the weekends. So in April 2021, Nantes uh, started offering free travel on the weekends for both locals and visitors. And then Nancy in eastern France did the same thing in 2020. OK, but what about big cities? Like, Is this possible in, say, Paris, for example? Well, it kind of depends on how important ticket sales are to the transport network's funding. So if we look at the Dunkirk example, ticket sales only made up about 10% of their budget originally. So it was easier for them to make the transport network free. In contrast, it would be harder for Paris because over a third of the city's public transport network is directly funded by ticket sales. And then an even larger portion of that is funded by employers who pay for part of their workers' monthly transport passes. So it'd be pretty tricky in Paris, but a lot of big cities do offer discounts or free services based on age. So Paris residents, for example, under the age of 18 can qualify for an Imagine Air card that lets them ride for free, or older folks can qualify for the Pass Senior as long as they're above 65. And these are residents, of course. A lot of other cities like Lyon, Paris, and Marseille also have these Solidaire cards. Um, These are free or reduced price passes uh, that are given out to people that are on government aid, like unemployment. Mm, Really interesting. Thanks, Jen. Public transport in general in French cities is not too expensive compared to elsewhere, would you say? Yeah, I saw um, I saw a comparison with the city of Paris in terms of its annual pricing for the pass with other European cities, and it is on the lower end. So it's certainly a lot cheaper than London, for example. Mm, definitely, yeah. Thanks, Jen. 
It's Christmas time, so let's talk a little bit about religion, in particular Catholicism, which has historically been the dominant religion in France. But is it still? Before we try and answer that, there have been some interesting recent stories in the French news about Catholic groups because they've come under the radar of the government and face being banned for links to violence and anti-Semitism. Last week, France's interior minister announced that he intends to ban one traditionalist Catholic group. Tell us more about this, Jen. So this is about the Academia Christian Group, which has been around since 2013, and it was founded by uh, several young people with nationalist and far-right views. Now, Darmanin has not actually banned this group yet, but he plans on requesting their dissolution in the next few weeks. According to an interior ministry source who spoke with Le Parisien, the reasoning for this will focus on the group's legitimization of physical violence and their use of weapons. The source also said that the group, quote, uses a warlike vocabulary and explicitly encourages its activists to arm themselves and go on a crusade, unquote. Now, this comes in the context of previous tensions in France after the stabbing of a young boy in a French village. After that, several far-right groups traveled to the area and intended on committing violence. And several of these far-right groups were recorded as having urged their supporters to commit violence, and they pushed this narrative that France was under attack. So in response to Darmanin's plans, the head of uh, the Catholic group Academia Christian that could be dissolved, uh, Victor Aubert, told the French press that By wanting to dissolve us, the government is once again attacking Catholics, whom it considers to be second-class citizens. This isn't the first time the French government has banned a far-right group out of concerns around violence, and it's not even the first time a Catholic far-right group has been banned. Just a few months ago, the traditionalist group Civitas was dissolved due to accusations of anti-Semitism. It's interesting he felt aggrieved, Jen, that Catholics in France were being treated as second-class citizens. Can you tell us a bit more about Catholicism in France? Well, modern France is a secular republic, and as many of us know, secularism was coded into the law in 1905. And historically, France's relationship with Catholicism has been somewhat fraught. Uh, If you go all the way back to the French Revolution, you'll see that anti-clericalism was an important aspect. Priests were exiled, and the revolutionaries even made up a new calendar that would get rid of all references to Catholicism. But nevertheless, up until the mid-20th century, a large portion of French people have still considered themselves to be Catholic and attended Mass. France was even referred to as the eldest daughter of the church. But over the past few decades, the number of practicing Catholics in France has been declining. So as of 2019 to 2020, in a survey from INSEE, just 29% of French people aged 18 to 59 said they were Catholic. Now, this is a huge decline since 1962, when 85% of people considered themselves to be Catholic. And even when we look at the people who consider themselves to be Catholic, only about 8% of them regularly attend Mass. Now, that's in comparison to over a quarter, so 27%, of Catholics in Spain who attend Mass once a week. What about those people who still consider themselves practicing Catholics or just Catholic in France, Jen? What do we know about them? Well, we know that politically, they're more likely to be conservative. Uh, 40% of Catholics voted for nationalist far-right candidates, uh, including far-right Marine Le Pen in the 2022 presidential election, compared with just less than a third of Catholics voting for Emmanuel Macron. Uh, This might be a bit familiar. French Catholics were a large part of the Manif Portus protest movement against same-sex marriage in 2013. And then in terms of other trends among people who self-identify as Catholic, those who say that they're practicing Catholics as of 2014 were more likely to be women than men. And as for age, over a third of the over 75 group uh, considered themselves to be practicing, in contrast to just 7% of people aged 18 to 24. And then when we look at the numbers based on professions, retirees and farmers were the largest groups that identified as practicing. 
And in terms of where practicing Catholics live, the study found that Western France, so Brittany and Pays de la Loire, Eastern France, meaning Alsace and Moselle, and Corsica all had the highest percentages. I think this is a good time to bring in John Litchfield, who joins us on the line again from Normandy. John, we're talking about just how Catholic France is these days. What's it like in rural France, John? Are churches full there? You know, it's a strange thing. You know, I've been living in Normandy now for several years full time and coming here very frequently for, for 25 years. I had the impression that Catholicism had, had retreated and nearly all the small churches around here, they've not had masses from since the 70s or 80s you have to go to one of the, the sort of medium-sized towns round about to go to mass on a sunday but i had a friend who visited a year or so ago who's a religious not, not catholic but ang- anglican and she wanted to go to mass on a sunday and i was surprised just how many people were in the, the the church in the local town i mean it was full you know on the normal sunday but then that's replacing what would have been maybe 20 churches uh, 30 40 50 years ago so perhaps not so surprising it still exists i mean there, there always has been in france this kind of divide between people of the church and people of the republic and you know that was explained to me when i went to a, a funeral in the local village of someone who knew very well and that did not take place in the church. It took place in the cemetery, in the open air. And, uh, you know, I asked, why not in the church? Well, I've been to other funerals before, and, and the daughter of the person who died said, well, we're not, we're not a famille de l'église. We're not a, we're not a church family. We've always been a sort of Republican, a secular family. And there is that divide. But I, I think that it resists in, in rural France, mostly amongst older people. But it's, it's still there, but it's much, much in retreat from what it was maybe even 30, 40 years ago. John, just looking at the statistic, why do so many Catholic voters in France tend to vote right or even extreme? right when it comes to the election? Yeah, that I think also is a, is a rural versus urban thing. I think if you took rural Catholic voters, they would be moderate right-wing probably for the most part. There are also people I know, including the mayor of our village, who's quite a devout Catholic, but sort of quite left-wing in her views. They exist, but in, in, in the sort of big towns, especially in Paris and in the posh suburbs of Paris, Catholicism to the sort of bourgeois, haute bourgeois, is a kind of, in many ways, a sort of badge of identity. We are the real French. We are the true French. And therefore, Catholicism, I think, goes with politics, goes with a sort of rejection of left-wing politics, often a rejection of of Muslims as well, often a rejection of Jews, quite a lot of anti-Semitism amongst, amongst bourgeois Catholics in, in France, quite frankly, which is not spoken of, but it's 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 there. And, uh, you know, if you, if you look at the Figaro, which is the sort of daily newspaper of the, of the bourgeoisie and the Catholic French, supposedly centre-right, but getting more and more right-wing in my experience, the Catholic Catholic France is very more Catholic than the Pope. It hates this present Pope, thinks that he's a sort of aberration, thinks he's a left-wing Pope, a woke Pope. And mm-hmm. so it, it was just an example of how uncatholic the catholics are in a sense that they have their own sense of what catholicism is which is a very french identitarian sense and the the idea that the the, the pope is infallible and the the church is infallible doesn't really appeal to them they they prefer their own view of catholicism to that of of the the vatican and they'll be uh, an important part of marine le pen's electorate in the next election will they well no in a funny sort of way you know they are there and some of them vote le pen but the people of the sort of bourgeois, uh, old bourgeois Catholics would be much more likely to support the Republican in the old days, the old goalist parties of Sarko and Chirac and so on. But now I think they're more attracted to someone like Eric Zemmour. 
even though he is himself Jewish in his origin. I think, for example, Marion Maréchal Le Pen, uh, Marine's uh, niece, is a very devout Catholic herself, and I think she is more typical of the kind of person and of the, the kind of politics to whom the, the sort of very right-wing Catholics are attracted. I think they regard still, although they would probably vote for Le Pen in some cases, they still regard her as being slightly vulgar, slightly sort of not as classy as them, someone who's supported by sort of lower middle class and working class people in the provinces and rural areas, rather than by the, the old bourgeois Catholics. And that is the sort of constituency she still has to completely conquer, which is not to say that she can't. I've said it once, but I'll say it again. It is nearly Christmas. This is a time when many households put their feet up and take in a film or binge a TV series. Readers of The Local have been recommending some good French comedies. Emma, tell us about this. One of the most read articles on our site and most commented on is about funny French films. Absolutely, yes. This all started when we stumbled across that old trope of the French aren't funny. Now, I think this is rubbish. So I put together a little list of my favourite French comedies. And yeah, it seems that loads of readers of the local agreed because they all started reading it and sharing it and then mm. suggesting their own French and films and TV series to watch. So we've now got a really great list. On our, on our website, there is a really great list of funny French films. Let's pick a few out, or you're going to pick a few out for us, Emma. Okay, well, I've started with the Christmas one. This is Christmassy and funny. It's called Le Père Noël est un odieur, which basically translates as Santa Claus is a stinker. Right. Uh, it was recommended by reader Simon Roberts. And as it happens, I've also watched this one recently. And it's pretty dark for a Christmas film, I have to say. Is but it, it's not it's, a kid's film then? Uh, no, not really. No, right. it, this is this is one for grown-ups. But it's funny too. Um, okay. It's old. It's from 1982. And actually readers in Paris might enjoy seeing streets like the Rue de Rivoli, which are now pedestrianised, absolutely jammed with traffic. But it follows the staff of a telephone helpline for distressed people over Christmas who are visiting by an increasingly bizarre selection of characters. Um, and it's also got a drunk, grumpy Santa, which is a, a winner for me every time. Mm, another one is what's often known as just the French James Bond. Tell us about this one. <laughs> yeah, sort of, sort of the French James Bond. This is the OSS 117. It's a series of films. And it's really like a spoof of James Bond, in fact, in which the French secret agent 117, uh, played by Jean Dujardin, goes around messing everything up by basically being the stereotype Frenchman, arrogant, opinionated and sexist. And actually Jean Dujardin he also stars in another series, the Brice de Nice series, which is about an arrogant surf instructor uh, based in Nice. And these are kind of for people who say that the French cannot laugh at themselves because both of them really do take the piss out of the sort of archetype arrogant Frenchman. Mm, I didn't find Brice de Nice very funny. No. No, but maybe I watched it in the wrong mood. Uh, is Bronze Fonduski on that list at all? Uh, yes, yeah, quite a, quite a few readers recognised that, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. a cult classic in, in France Definitely. at Christmas yep. time, yeah. Um, uh, any more to recommend? Uh, yeah, actually, there was one that uh, I haven't seen, but it was recommended by a couple of readers and it's definitely going on my list because it sounds really interesting. It's called Ridicule and it's the story of a minor French aristocrat who goes to the court of Louis XVI to get support for a, a drainage scheme in his local area. But once he's at the court of Versailles, he finds that wit is sort of prized above all and in order to gain influence, he has to become funny. And I find it interesting because it's this sort of style of, you know, verbal word plays back 
back and forth wit that you actually see all the time in France. French politicians really love like a, a bitchy put down of their rivals. So it was interesting to me to see like what a very old tradition this really is going right back to the, the court of Versailles. Mm. So that's going to be on my list for Christmas. And finally, I added a TV series on here, which is recommended by quite a few readers and oh. I love it. Um, it's called Family Business. That's Dis- not French. Despite the name, it is in fact uh, it Is, is it in called fact Family French. Business in French? No, no, it's called Family Business in English. I, I, right. I've never really figured this out. Right, okay. Why, to be honest. But it follows an extended family in Paris who try to turn their butcher's shop into a cannabis cafe after hearing a rumour that cannabis is about to be legalised. They end up embroiled in all sorts of adventures with Dutch drug lords because it turns out the grandmother of the family has a surprising talent for cultivating super strong weed. Um, It's very funny. Uh, It's also a great workout for your French because the family all speak in like super fast Paris working class slang. Mm. So it's a good French workout, although it's on Netflix. So you can get a subtitled or a dubbed English version if you just want to relax. Okay, great list. So Family Business, Ridicule, OSS 117, Bronze Fonduski and Père Noël et un Odeur. That's five to watch this Christmas. Yep, I say there's loads more on the website. There is but, loads more. So these are five good ones, I think. It's a great list. Thanks, Emma. That brings us to the end of this week's episode of Talking France. A reminder, if you want to know more about the immigration bill, there is loads on our website. If you want that list of funny French films, you'll find it on the local.fr. This isn't the last episode of the year. We'll be back next week with a special look ahead to 2024. So uh, a reminder, look out for that special episode. And a happy Christmas to all our listeners. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs>